0: I don't think you can validate an idea before you actually try it. You can have a rough idea and you can make an informed decision, but I think realistically, you can tilt the odds from like, maybe it's 10% likely you'll make it, so like maybe it's 20% likely, but um, you're gonna learn by being just much quicker at shipping things. It's not about polish and pixel perfection, it's like, no, you just get something out that provides basic functionality to solve your problem, and then make sure you have some ability to learn from it, like talk to users, look at like what's getting used. Hey, this is Brian, and you're
1: listening to Jamstack Radio, a weekly series where we discuss modern web development with maintainers, founders, and developers. Jamstack Radio is brought to you by Heavybit, the leading investor and developer-first startups. For more information, visit heavybit.com. If you're interested in being a guest on the show, or if you'd like to suggest a topic, find us on Twitter, at Jamstack Radio. Welcome to another installment of Jamstack Radio. On the line, we've got James
0: Hawkins. Hey, Brian, thank you for so much for me.
1: Yeah, yeah. And you're you're calling from the UK somewhere?
0: Uh, yes. I'm calling from a village near Cambridge, which is a little, little bit north of London. <laughs> yeah, it's dark and cold here.
1: Okay. Yes. Yeah, so I've never been there, but I had a coworker at GitHub. Uh, they were based in Cambridge. And uh, yeah, besides that, uh, we, we won't talk about my coworker in Cambridge, uh, but we do want to talk about you and find out what you do. So, can you explain what's your current focus and, and sort of how you got there?
0: Sure. So uh, I'm the CEO and the co-founder at Postdog. We are an open source product operating system. Basically, we build the products that make your product more successful. So we have tons of different products that are on our platform, things that help you measure your performance, product analytics, things that help you diagnose it, session recording or writing SQL, and things that help you release changes like experimentation and feature flags to kind of iterate and uh, improve stuff over time.
1: Very cool, yeah. And I'd I mentioned before here record. I'm a PostHog customer actually because we are we are actually paying for the platform, and uh, so far I have enjoyed it. I, I realized very recently I didn't really go very deep in how we're using it, so been doubling down on some documentation, some videos, and learning how to use the product properly. But can you kind of explain like what what does PostHog offer, um, like sort of features that you had mentioned earlier?
0: Sure. So it's a little bit like. Well, I guess the first thing is we start. We give you a snippet, a JavaScript snippet, which lets you track all of the kind of front-end events that are happening inside your application, and we provide like SDKs for your back end. We can then visualize these over time, so you can kind of see like which features are being used, how often they're being used, who's using them, are they coming back or not, um, what are my conversion rates, what are my activation rates. Similar to kind of like Amplitude, Mixpanel, or Heap, a kind of the I guess like the triumvirate that we're competing with um, there. The second product is session recording. So we kind of give you live video replays of your users um, using your stuff. This is kind of useful if you're trying to, say, for example, you want to improve your activation rate in your product. The cool thing about postdoc is because they're in the same place, you can kind of be like, okay, here are the people that didn't activate. they just like signed up yeah. and then just like disappeared for whatever reason. <laughs> um, we can just show you the video clips of what they actually did. And usually it's ultra depressing to watch. Like You'll kind of be like, you, if you watch 30 of them, you'll come up with like, You'll be embarrassed thirty times over, and then go back and ship something to prove it.
1: Oh, I look forward to this. Uh,
0: yeah, and then the last step is we provide kind of feature flags and experimentation. So um, what we want there is now you've got some idea of what's going wrong. We want you to be able to release a change and test the impact of the change. This gets like more important as you get larger. Um, like once you're kind of post product market fit, teams will do conversion rate optimization for the rest of their lives. Um, yeah, it's a bit of a trend where we're seeing things like companies that you know, would have been spending like a million bucks a month, whatever, on online ads are now starting to think of kind of growth engineering as channel spend where it's like, actually, if we are like three growth engineers, we're going to spend whatever, like 500k or 600k or something. But that is a much more effective place to invest money um like getting these rates higher than it is to spend that in like a one-off like purchase of growth yeah. Um, from an online ad network. So we do that and then you go out to step one. Like, okay, cool. Now measuring performance again. Uh, so we try and get you through that sort of iterative product development uh, kind of flow.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I feel silly for not even like deep diving and like starting to. to I didn't know, but I knew about session recordings. So I haven't done this yet, but it's a current issue we have right now with our product is that people are signing up. We have no problem getting people to the funnel or in the funnel yeah. uh, and even clicking the login button. But like we don't actually have any insights what happens after they log in. Uh, and that's on us. Like we we were, we're users of Post but it sounds like I could probably set something up to say, okay, you've logged in. How many people have clicked? Create a new dashboard because uh, that's our that's our our sort of moneymaker is like create a dashboard, get data uh, and insights, and then come back like next week. Yep. Uh, so like we we are tracking weekly actives, so that's like our metric that we we share with updates with investors and with the team of how well we're doing. But there seems like there's so much more we could be doing with that. Which you'd mentioned in passing feature flags. I didn't even know that was a feature as well. Um, is this like feature flags in a very similar way of like launch darkly or I guess LaunchDarkly is the only one I can think of
0: that is a product that does feature flagging. It's very similar.
1: And again, if you have like
0: ultra deep needs and like you're an enterprise scale thing and you need like every single feature under the sun, like go with them. Um, but we're going to give you like all the stuff you're realistically going to use. And then it's all nicely integrated. And you've got like one dependency rather than multiple. There's no integration between all these different tools. And so we kind of believe in uh, consolidating stuff and kind of removing the need for integration work. Yeah. So someone at your someone at your stage though, when someone's kind of saying like okay, we've got like a very basic handle on our metrics like that, we just you know normally would encourage you to look at people. I think a lot of people focus on sign up, but activation is kind of the real product challenge, like making sure that they're getting value from yes. the product because that causes then like your WAU number to rise. So and usually you we'd know, be like okay, well think of like what represents actual value to one of your users where they've solved a problem, and then like what percentage converting through to that check if that cohort corresponds to more retention, and then like, if you can't find anything that corresponds to retention, then you have a problem. Um, or if you do, then it's great. Now you need to like, figure out how to get more people to like, do that thing. Easier said than done.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I was part of, um, so so I worked at GitHub, and actually on Heavybit, on the uh, just sort of content arm, um, where they have all the content of previous speaking engagements and conferences, I spoke on onboarding. Yeah. And I spoke specifically on onboarding for the company I worked for previously, which is Netlify. But also at GitHub, and at the time I did that that talk, GitHub had an issue with onboarding where people didn't know what to do get use GitHub with. Like if you know what Git is and you went to a course or you went to a university, someone told you to use GitHub, like you're fine. Yeah. But when you're like a technical designer or a product manager or a self-taught programmer, you don't know what to do with GitHub, and so they did GitHub spent a lot of time working on the onboarding flow. So I bring this up because. I was at GitHub for four and a half years, and it was like only halfway through we actually started looking at those retention numbers yep. at, at a company level. So like this is when I took notice. and it was it was how many times did people come back? like did someone come back to the platform, so like GitHub was focused on monthly actives, and did they come back to the platform twice and they do something besides just push code? Yep. So like did you write a comment or did you go look at another repo? Uh, and those were like the activation points. Uh, so, like, we're very similar with, with Open Source, which is the the project I'm working on. But creating a dashboard is like that is the the, the step to so every that you have something that's activated, and then we could do notifications around or get you back on the platform based on the dashboard you created. So, it sounds like like Posthog is exactly what we need today because uh, we don't have a lot of features. And it sounds like I uh, Brandon, if you're listening, who's one of our lead engineers, uh, I will be DMing you. Tonight, with some documentation, and we're going to work on this.
0: Cool. Yeah, we're kind of um, again like we're not the be all and end all. Like we still got more products, We want to build up the platform. Like we have more to do. I think for earlier stage companies, we have more to build. Like for example, um, I think we we could still do a better job of incorporating uh, qualitative feedback into what's going on. And session recording is a form of that, but also just what people are telling you. Yeah, allow us to have like user notes in there and that sort of thing, which we'll get to at some point. At the moment, we're quite we're helping people who are in like an optimization cycle. This is like our best fit, um, but I'm kind of secretly hoping that we can kind of go down market at some point in terms of what we're building. Again, we'll find out once we get bigger. Um, still, but we're kind of at the point where we just had like an awful lot of growth by focusing on like primarily kind of Series B, C, D kind of companies. Um, we've got a ton of usage from people who aren't that big yet because they still need the basics of like how many users do I have, which bits they're using, that sort of thing.
1: Yeah, so our, our weekly active is around 200. We've been around for about six months live with the product, two months. Yeah. Uh, so like we're seeing that that number go up and to the right. Like we're, we, it looks like a hockey stick, but it's again we started from two months ago. Yeah. Like having this groundwork of being able to see like what we did at the point of launch uh, is something that I I think I missed out on when I was at early stage startups like Nellify. Like we didn't have all this data. We had Google Analytics and that was about it. And I think the majority of us on the team we didn't know how to use. Google Analytics—it was like a thing that existed, and I, I'm curious, like uh, in your trajectory, because I—I heard before we hit the call, start of the call, like you started NYC uh, in 2020, yep. and I do remember the GDPR stuff. Like, did you get a, an influx of users from the sort of Google Analytics not being
0: GDPR compliant and all this other stuff? Well, we kind of hit a home run there with. Um... Uh, kind of for fun, we built is Google Analytics Illegal.com. Uh, it's like kind of like a one day project through throw this website out there. I'm not joking. In so far as we spent about eight hours on this website, and we have like a scrolling marquee with like red text in all caps and stuff, and like Ursula, um, I, uh, I can't pronounce the name correctly, Ursula uh, something or something, president of the EU who introduced this, gives you like a thumbs up if you're in a country where you can use it um, with its default settings legally. When we launched it, people took it deadly seriously. Um, and we got like, uh, we had 100,000 visitors to that website in like a day. Wow. We got more signups from launching that freaking website than we did when we actually launched our product on Hacking News and it was on the front page. Really? Uh, yeah, we had an incredible number. Um, so that worked quite well. But the reality is, we can replace a lot of the basic functionality of GA, but like, we're not really like, I would differentiate between kind of uh, web analytics and product analytics, sort of like you were touching on in your earlier work. Our mission is to increase the number of successful products in the world. Yeah. So we're very focused on like software team shipping what they would consider a product versus like we're not very focused on like marketing attribution or like we don't have many integrations with like your online ad spend or anything like that yeah. at this point. So
1: okay, so like things like doing uh, referral links and stuff like that—that's not something Posthog is going to be managing.
0: Yeah, they're they're like hacky workarounds, but if you're sophisticated, then not for a bit. Like we will at some stage build more. Pre-built integrations with these sorts of things, but um, and we do things like UTM tracking and segmentation. But um, yeah, yeah, our primary users are what we would call product engineers, so basically technical people that talk to users. Yeah, you know, kind of sometimes they're a technical product manager, like product manager who can code, and more often than not, it's I'm a software engineer, but I'm very broad and I'm trying to incorporate user feedback the best I can. Um, yes, we're kind of geared around that sort of team. We're not as geared around like I'm a product manager. I write out issues and the roadmap, and I build tickets, and then the team follow my instructions. Like that kind of team, we're just not. We don't build for that kind of product manager at all. Um, So we're trying to help engineers be better at product, more so than trying to solve the needs of a non-technical product manager. Okay, yeah, and I mean that's the space I
1: operate in. (laughs) Like, technical founder can ship code and be dangerous, but also need to build a product that people want to use. That's what attracted me to Posthog. But also, what attracted me to Posthog was the the open source angle. Because you can you can sort of self-host PostHog. I actually surprisingly I didn't go that route first because it was so easy to set up yep. and just log in. And we had such a low usage And I'm like, oh, I'm just going to sign up, use the hosted version, swipe the credit card. I honestly don't even know what I'm paying <laughs> per month, which is yeah. Um, sure. yeah, yeah. But it just worked, and we were able to um, for years. I had bootstrapped open source, and I always wanted to know like what happened after sign up and PostHog uh, before I even went full time. Like working on this, uh, I added Posthog because I just wanted to get an idea. Like, is there traction? Like, is this enough for me to like quit my job and work on? Uh, and to my surprise, the answer was yes. Um, we did have some traction and we did have some repeat users. So that's what like validated me. Like, one of the pieces of validation to go do this full time. But the open source, I'm curious why why open source. Like, why is there why is there even a self hosted
0: version too as well? First of all, I'm glad we helped you quit your job. I hope we're right. <laughs> yeah, hey, I think on why why open source. So my co founder and I pivoted a whole bunch of times. So, postdoc is like our sixth weird and wonderful idea that we thought we'd work on. And every single time we Are you able
1: to, to mention a couple of the, the previous ideas? Uh, yeah. Or the, the ones that correlated with this?
0: Yeah. So, um, I can go into it. Like, we started off, um, I'm basically a developer who's not very good at development. So, I had to do other stuff. And I basically wound up as the VP of sales an enterprise software company, like doing large contracts, like several million dollars a year. Yeah, and then the company got kind of big, like not huge, but like we went from like 1 million to 10 to 20 million kind of run rate. Uh, and I was like, man, this CRM we've got is annoying. Because like one of the things that used to annoy me about sales is um you have all this pipeline and like 95% of it's never gonna close. And um, yes, it's still there in your CRM. And it's just wasted time. Like you're you're kind of reporting on it and like doing stuff and chasing people up, but no one's responding. And like my point of view is I want to automatically manage territory. So if a deal's not moving. I bet we can just model the statistical probability that it doesn't close and then just get rid of it and put a new deal into that person's territory. So we built this like super complex modeling tool that would, automatic, basically would automatically manage people's sales territory. I got 15 potential customers who all said they'd do it, like other VPs of sales, and not a single one even clicked the link. <laughs> so like sign it in, in the first place. Our MVP should have literally just been like a link to a page that just had like Rick Roll yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, on it kind of thing. So um Yes, yeah, so that was like the first one. Then we built like a monopoly of random stuff. And one of the other ones that was kind of cool was we built a technical debt survey tool. It's like after all your pull requesting, just mentioning because you were at GitHub, but it would uh, put a check into every pull request, being like, oh, our hypothesis was developers kind of know what technical debt is, but they can't really justify fixing it because there's no way to kind of report on why they should do that to companies that are militantly trying to get like stuff out the door. So if we can weigh up the cost, then great. So it would just ask you, how long did you waste on like this technical debt? Where was it? We would then connect to all the files that you touched, and we'd visualize where all the debt was in the codebase base and the actual rough cost of it. Um, but again, got lots of users, but struggled to... We didn't solve the problem. Reports were generated, and everyone ignored them. <laughs> so we found we got usage, but no money in that case. It was super hard. I was putting all these enterprise sales tricks out of my book um, to get deals for like a couple of bucks a month per user. So uh, yeah, we moved on. We also, my co-founder and I also realized we don't know what we're doing. Uh, this uh, technical debt is not something that we've solved before in a work setting, really. We've just sort of seen the problems it causes. So um, yeah. we also weren't willing to restart the solution from scratch and build something fresh. And we got so frustrated at product analytics every time we set up on these new ideas as as quite technical people. We just wanted to build product analytics but gear it towards developers. Like we wanted access to underlying data. We wanted APIs. We didn't want to... We want to self-host, so we wouldn't lose half our data. For a start, you lose half your data to ad blockers if you're building it a dev tool. Yeah. Uh, but then the second thing was, uh, it just kind of felt weird to send all of our users' information to some random third party, because it's kind of personal data that you're tracking in product analytics. Um, so we kind of want to give... Whilst we aren't privacy fanatics, we wanted to give users the ability to have complete control and like to have an escape valve. And your situation is extremely typical. Um, more than ninety percent of users that show up know you can self-host. Yeah. But the fraction adopting self-hosted is probably like 10, 15% at the moment.
1: Okay, that's surprising. Yeah.
0: But okay. they come because they've heard of it. Because it's like, oh, this is like clip, but just the fact you can self-host and you give like the ability to do that gives you trust. And especially when you combine it with being like open source too. And so we're sort of and you know, you can you can host post in the EU, you can do a bunch of other stuff. So um it's given us this like strong like we're very much tied to engineering as a persona, yeah. Whereas the other tools are more product managerial. and it's to be, like if something's open source, it's just like added plus from a developer's perspective, basically.
1: Yeah, and I would say like the the allure for the self hosting is that if we, so the idea was like, oh, we don't have to pay any money, so we're going to self host yep. and like pay our own our hosting fees. But then in reality, it's like we're so small, we're just getting started. It's actually better to did a hosted version and then switch to self hosted. Like if we have some issue or if we get to some place where our burn's too high, or something like that. So we'll we'll spin up like a some laptop that that runs the self hosted version. But it turns out like we're like the amount of data we're like we because we don't have masses of users going through our, our platform. Yep. It's getting us good data. It works. Like we don't have to think about it. Yeah. And uh, the credit card's there in case it needs to unlock whatever the next
0: tier is. Yeah, it's probably cheaper to use it in cloud. Like we, we don't try to make money off people who are at your stage. Like we're trying to make money off people who yeah. like like our main target is series B onwards but basically we've raised like a couple of million dollars plus um, so if you self-host it costs you money to self-host and in cloud it's literally free Yeah. so yeah it's kind of again because we wanted to avoid like why do we bother providing it and the reality is if we don't have like a small free offering well it's actually kind of generous like a million events per month track But if we don't provide that, we just end up with lots of people trying to self-host, which brings like random issues and complexity that then we end up ultimately helping people with. So, and we want them to have a good time. They have a better user experience. We just host it for them. So we should just do that. So we kind of we started off being kind of we should just offer self-hosting. Surely no one's going to use PostDog if it's in cloud because like everyone's like there's a load of like analytics providers. Um, So we just focused on self-hosting, and then one day we kind of randomly just set up a cloud offering to get Signal because we felt that we were getting asked for it quite a bit. And then we didn't think too much more. We just let users kind of like set up and use it. And we didn't even build a payment flow. It was completely free for literally unlimited usage because we just thought, well, no one's going to bother. Like, like whatever. And then one day we were kind of checked, and we we're actually getting like a ton of usage in cloud. And those users have really good retention. So then we started putting payment flow in to stop abuse. And then we thought through our payment structure last year. And now the whole cloud is 90% of our revenue. Wow.
1: That's fascinating.
0: Yeah. We, what sort of happened was self-hosting gave us a niche to get initial traction, um, and then now the product can hold its own in cloud more, much more successfully because we've incorporated all these adjacent products, the product analytics. It, it gave us the stepping stone we needed to then start competing head-on with what would have been impossible competitors when we were much smaller.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it makes sense. Now that I'm on the other end of it, it all makes sense. But as like what attracted me to it is like, oh, this is cool, this is cool, I'm going to use cloud. Okay, cloud works for me. Like, what a great funnel. And I guess also what a great product to also build a product. Because at GitHub, we we built GitHub using GitHub. So it was like one of those like snake eating its own tail. Yep. And I imagine PostHog, because you're building the product, you now have insights of like, oh, wow, 90% of our customers are clicking the cloud button versus the self-hosted. Like, that's <laughs> insightful. So it's like almost... By the time we hit Series B, like hog is going to be a pretty nice solution for us, and like I, I'm happy that we we have it ingrained in our product now because we have it. Some of our features do have some events out. I haven't started segmenting yet, but again, like I'd say, anybody listening, if you're starting a new project, an indie, you know, side project or a startup, start early with Posthog because it's a, it's a nice thing to have this data um, for months while you're still sort of ideation and trying to figure out what the product market fit is. Uh, And having something to sort of stand on because every product I've I've made prior has not been successful. Uh, This is the most successful product I've had so far. I attribute some of that to Post Hog, but I also attribute that to uh, I actually started taking it seriously. So,
0: yeah, I think it's definitely a shots on goal thing. uh, All this startup malarkey. Uh, Very true. Yeah, very very timely with the. uh, Well, you basically have to ship and learn as fast as possible. And I think that's all you can really do uh, in the early stages.
1: Yeah, sorry. I was just gonna make a, a World Cup uh, analogy because I've been watching a lot of a lot of soccer lately, and it really comes down to like the U.S. team, like awful. <laughs> like I I just don't see them like even competing at, at that level, um, the way they were playing. But watching like teams like Argentina, it is about shots from goal for them. So like you gotta you gotta try a bunch of things and then go back go back in the huddle and be like, oh, what worked? What didn't work? Who who should be on the on the field and who should not be on the field? Uh, like, those are all questions you have to ask uh, while building a product. And um, anyway, I don't know. I, I butchered that anecdote.
0: Yeah, I think it's, um, yeah, there's a good talk by Dalton Caldwell on this, which is you make your own luck. Yes. Um, it's the same sort of concept. And I think, like, with in terms of validation, I, I don't think you can validate an idea before you actually try it. You can have a rough idea and you can make an informed decision. But I think realistically, you maybe have like, you can tilt the odds from like, Maybe it's 10% likely you'll make it. So like maybe it's 20% likely, but um, you're gonna learn by being just much quicker at shipping things. It's probably why we try and work with more engineering-led kind of teams where it's not about polish and pixel perfection. It's like you just get something out that provides the basic functionality to solve your problem, and then make sure you have some ability to learn from it. Like talk to users, look at like what's getting used or whatever, and you know, fail quickly <laughs> if you're gonna have a screw up. Uh, don't spend hitches um, by like massively over designing or over engineering something or doing ridiculous amount of analysis, or whatever. But yeah, it's, it's something we saw a lot. Of, I think when we pivoted, like we were quite quick. I think it was kind of like a month average per startup. Um, whereas I don't know some people do manage it the way around. Like Airbnb, I think is a classic example of people who are willing to drag themselves over like numerous horrible, like very difficult situations for years until they got like the same concept working. Yeah, for most people, yeah, for like mere mortals, I think, um, just like work out if it's a game you can roughly compete in, and then get good at that game. Um, so like, try out hockey, like try out rock climbing, play a little bit of football. like get a rough idea which one you're better at, and then like get really good at that one thing.
1: Yeah, that's 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 good insight too as well. And Figma is another one that I, I honestly don't know early Figma what like how many times they pivoted or if they did pivot, but I do know Figma from like mid 2010s. Like what the product looked like then and what it is today, miles different, and uh, but kind of still kind of the same essence. So, at least one success story is if you can, if you can get the first five years across the board, uh, you'll figure out the next five years, and then hopefully get bought by Adobe for twenty billion dollars. That would be nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I, we kind of we hit most of the talking points I wanted to talk about. I we didn't talk about this sort of. The maintenance of open source and like building a product uh, and a business on top of an open source project. Have you found any sort of difficulty in open source uh, and having an open source project while also sort of driving the business and revenue?
0: Yes, I think open source makes it easier to get, it's easier to build something that people use, I think, because people are kind of willing to. Work with and like they can literally work with an open source product to make it fit actually what they, their use cases are in the first place, which we saw happening in our early days. You would kind of get—I don't know if you've ever read the book "Crossing the Chasm." Yeah, yeah. So there's kind of this simplistic concept, right? Of like how willing someone is to adopt technology varies. So some people are the most extreme versions. They want to adopt new and broken technologies, kind of because it's fun to use them, uh, you know. And then as you go across the curve, it gets into kind of like. People are like a little bit tech for like early adopters um, all the way through to kind of like laggards, like conservatives and laggards. And I think with open source, the area under that curve, like how much, how many people there are is massive in the um, like early adopter phase. You'll get people who use stuff that's like basically broken because they kind of want it to work. It's a community effort. It's got a different kind of feel. Yeah. So it's sort of easy to get. If you can't make something open source get any traction whatsoever, like definitely no one cares about that thing. Um, which again is a good learning. Um, <laughs> yeah. If they do care and like they're using it and stuff, the challenge is it's more complicated to monetize an open source product. There are like it's becoming kind of normal now. Like the generic approaches are open core, where you provide extra functionality that's paid. Like GitLab uh, is probably a good example of that. The other version is cloud, where like we, you host it for your users, um, and you charge money for that. Um, and then the third, which we're kind of following, is we do both. Um, so you can pay to upgrade features, or you can use our cloud version that just has all our features in it anyway. That's partly because we felt that it would be self-hosting, would be where we make a lot of money, because it were be differentiated, and it wound up cloud worked well. So now we just have this like cloud product that's got more stuff in it. But it also means you don't have to stress about... Um, uh, there's, some, like, new, there's some like quite interesting stuff around competition with like AWS hosting open source projects and monetizing them effectively providing the paid cloud version. Um, but if you've got extra functionality in your cloud version because you have OpenCore, open core, you can kind of not worry about it. So there are some like cool like more niche reasons why I think that setup of doing both works. But it does mean a lot of basically the fundamental problem is it's more complicated and you have like more to build yeah. um, than just like SaaS. You have to kind of, you have to worry about the community, the documentation. But those are all part of your moat once it gets going. Exactly, yeah. So that's, that's something we, we actually got to open source our repo on Monday.
1: And uh, everything else we've done so far has been open source. We haven't open source our latest pro- product because we just wanted to be very focused on whatever we we're going to ship and not yeah. like be comfortable with pivoting if we had to without having an audience watching us doing it. But now that we're comfortable with what we have, open source on Monday, definitely check it out. Open slash slash insights is the product. And uh, with that being said, I appreciate you talking to PostHog and... I think this was really insightful. Like as a, as a customer, I feel like I learned so much more about the product, uh, and I'm I definitely am excited to go do a more deep dive session uh, on setting up things like the the feature flags. Like again, like we have one one feature, we just want to want to try it out. We want to basically segment that and then see what what people are clicking on. That it's, it's right in our wheelhouse. So, like, it seems like we're a good persona for at least the the cloud tier as we're ramping up. And hopefully, when we become a,
0: a unicorn, uh, we'll continue to pay post hog and make you a, a decacorn at that point. Uh, yeah, that sounds good to me. Like, yeah, it's, it's fun. We grow when our customers grow and do well. And then usually we're like giving us money as the least of their concerns. Exactly.
1: Cool. So, speaking of least concerns, I want to move us to jam picks. So, these things are what we're jamming on, could be music, food. Technology related, uh, and if you don't mind, I'll go first. I've got a couple picks because I mentioned we're going to do a launch on Monday. So by the time this comes out, check out open source uh, which is the URL. And uh, I've been working on the landing page, and I have two tools that I've been really, actually three, honestly, that I've been really, really happy with while shipping this landing page is uh, one Stripe checkout. Um, I actually integrated Stripe years ago uh, for Netlify, and it was a lot, lot, harder. You had to like pass around tokens, read a lot of documentation. Now you can do Stripe Checkout, which is like the sort of hosted version of Stripe. We just like go to another URL, set up payments, and then you can integrate into your platform later down the road. So like we just pulled the Ripcord. It's <laughs> going to use Stripe Checkout, yeah, and then we'll figure out the rest later. Uh, and I've seen a lot of startups do the same thing as well. Which is like it's it's such a nice experience to be able to say okay, payments work. They don't have to break every other week or anything like that. Uh, The other one is we have a CMS which is uh, Sanity, uh, Sanity Sanity.io, which has been a guest on this podcast and also a heavy bit company. So definitely check them out. Uh, We've been like playing around copy like crazy, like trying to figure out like what is the story we're trying to tell. uh, And instead of pull up another PR and deploy and go back to production or staging, uh, we can actually just change the the copy on the fly. So Sanity, it's like it the name, it's in the name. It 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 keeps my sanity uh, for being able to like. I think I took a period out of one line in our above-the-fold copy. And then the other one, I I changed like a bit of copy. So like I'm looking forward to do A-B testing in the future, but for now, to make a quick copy change, I just log into our sanity-hosted version and uh, just change some copy, and I'm good to go. One more pick is uh, ChatGPT. Uh, so OpenAI just shipped uh, another product, which is ChatGPT. Wow, that's hard to say you just ask it questions and they give you like a conversational answer. And people have been using this for like getting the right code or getting to answer questions or set up like abstracts for conference talks. Uh, I've actually been using it for a copy on our website because I'm like, oh, how would you explain such and such in a way that's like useful and like approaches enterprise? And they'll give you like, you know, it's, it's kind of like word soup, but at least you get some like different approach to like my normal writing style. And uh, I found it extremely useful for doing some some copy edits uh, on the site in specific places. So like our features, like how do you explain a feature that does X, Y, and Z. It's like, oh blah, 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 blah. And here's some like and can you make it more expressive? Oh yeah, blah, 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 blah. And like here's like a beautiful, elegant way to put it. Uh, and could you give me an analogy <laughs> to apply with the feature? Oh yeah, here's an analogy of how you would apply. It. Yeah. So anyway, it's it's a very fascinating um, product that OpenAI shipped and highly recommend if you're trying to write a lot of copy. Ask it some questions, and maybe it'll, it'll
0: unblock you a little bit. Cool. And do you want me to do the same, Brian? Or
1: yeah, yeah. If uh, you got any picks, any things you're jamming on as a recent?
0: Yeah. So uh, one is called Pocus. It's a CRM for product-led companies. So like one of the challenges we've had is we're completely inbound, so we don't do any outbound sales. Everything kind of comes through the like open source repo, um, and people like yourself like they self set and start using our stuff, and then they get a hold of us. But like that's not how like Salesforce or HubSpot are built. Like they're kind of designed around like SDRs, booking meetings and stuff. Uh and we had no end of problems trying to figure out which users to talk to. So it let's you kind of prioritize like okay, these users are using it the most intensively. Uh, we've got like more data on that, we kind of know what size companies they're in and stuff. They're in our ideal customer profiles. So we can kind of go, okay, let's put in when you have a ton of signups, like, okay, great, we can like prioritize this handful and try to go really, really deep there and set up like Slack channels or whatever with them. So they've got like some line of communications, they're more successful. We can help them activate, for example. Uh, It's definitely one. What was the name of that? Pocus, P O C U S. Okay. There's like a bunch of them appearing. There's some other cool ones like Podgeo Labs is another one. But I think there's a whole wave of like very cool, more kind of product led CRMs for companies that do self serve. Uh, But we spent a long time like trying to pick and choose which one to go with, and like there's just not yet a standard in that space. I think. Yeah, I think the second one is like eclectic uses of GitHub. Um, like where um, our whole company runs through it. Like um, we use it as our, well, I, I guess like GitHub as a, as a content management system. Uh, so we use it for like all of our blog content and it's superb for pushing up. Like if you care about quality of content, it's kind of, um, you can get line by line, you can have like threaded conversations about stuff, um, you have a whole history or whatever. I think it's brilliant for doing it. And I'm like seeing people like, oh, we kind of want to implement like, Something that feels like a bit less technical. Um, but instead, we've been like, no, we should just help you. Kind of to your point about GitHub, yeah. But um, we should just help you use GitHub um, because then you'll be really good at this stuff. And now it's amazing, sort of thing. I'm going to stick with two for now. Those are the two most recently, I think, okay. that have stood out to me.
1: Yeah. From coming from a GitHub employee who uses GitHub for everything. I'm right there with you. I'm using it as a CMS. I got my. I do a lot of live streaming, so like I have a CM, like I hand built CMS through my GitHub issues on what I'm streaming next. Yeah. And then like BW Live, like all my posts on my my website are GitHub issues. Yeah. Uh, and the beauty of that is like the GitHub issues have comments already embedded. Yeah. So if you want to write a comment on something I posted, it's just adding a comment on my issue.
0: Yeah, it's like directly connected, and it kind of means you can. Um it's just cooler because you can work in the open as well so you can sort of like random people on the internet I can send half-finished work to like um, people can contribute um, in a way that's like fiddlier. Yeah. Um, you know you have all the same rules you'd have if you're merging code into code base you have control over it at the same time yeah we do our whole company through it it's definitely like it is the company that we get probably the most value from out of all of the vendors that we have um, because like we do like our whole handbook or instruction manual uh, like everything's captured as issues all our Meetings are run as GitHub issues, yeah. uh, Too. So like our exec meetings, all of our like small teams have like retrospective on last week, what the plan is for next week, and then you can like seamlessly connect in. Like marketing team can be like hashtag one hundred three or whatever to like link up to a pull request for content, or the devs can do the same. With like,
1: is all your stuff open source as well? Like kind of like a GitLab where all their meetings are searchable uh, in their GitHub repo.
0: Yeah. So um, the vast majority. Um, Some things aren't. Like if it's uh, mentioning specific customers or companies, like if we're having issues or something, it won't be, but um, yeah, the vast majority is that. Like you can even see how much, you can see how much money we pay people when we choose to like, how we fire people um, and you can suggest changes too. And um, we've actually had more contributors to our, like our website um, because of our handbook, like we have this public handbook. Um, I think we've got like 190 contributors to it or something. It's actually higher than our product. Um, it's so frequent that we get people like, kind of interested in how we work and then they'll suggest changes and stuff which is pretty cool and other times people are just fanatical about grammar (laughs) and that's just fixed like tons of typos and you're like oh there's typos in like 90 pages of this website Uh, and then you have to go through and check it all but
1: amazing yeah I mean that that is one of the benefits you do have eyes uh, to help catch some stuff like that or even have like questions and, and feedback where I know there's a lot of startups around just getting feedback from your users and customers. And I imagine with post hog, probably still challenging to get feedback from, from customer and user, but pro- not as challenging on closed source companies that you have to send an email as opposed to maybe opening a discussion or an issue.
0: Yeah, it's the challenging but different. It's like more, it's harder to the mentality shift actually we found really hard from to go from closed source to open source. Where in closed source, you're like, will anyone talk to us, please? Uh, and then in open source, you're like, there's a lot of people talking to us. We can't do all the things. Yeah. So the reality there is, it gets very important to focus on uh, your ideal customer profile and have a theory about who you're actually trying to build for, because you're going to get super random usage. Like, for example, a chain of pizza restaurants in Ukraine use postdoc, as does like defense companies, as do um, you know, Series C startups, as do like crypto wallets. Like yeah. it's everywhere, and it kind of you need some working view of like okay, but who do we prioritize out of all of these random issues and feedback requests we get versus, you know, <laughs> even my mom's not giving me any more feedback because she's bored <laughs> of taking these requests from me when you are tiny. Amazing.
1: Well, James, I really enjoyed this conversation. I really enjoyed just sort of getting to know you and the sort of trajectory of where PostHog came from and where it's at now. Um, definitely encourage everyone check out PostHog if you don't have a solution right now for managing insights on retention on users, but also where they're coming from. Like, Definitely a great product. Check it out. The docs are great. The handbook is also amazing. Thank you for such honor me today. Yeah, and listeners, keep spreading the jam. That's all we have time for today. If you're interested in being a guest on the show, or if you'd like to suggest a topic, find us on Twitter, at Jamstack Radio. This show is brought to you by Heavybit, the leading investor and developer-first startups. To learn more by Heavybit, visit heavybit.com.